This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's down the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Another week, another podcast, and another massive slate of Ducks news to digest. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. I'm Matt Bagley. Justin Hopkins is across the interwebs with me right now. Let's start with a shine of uh, a, a ray of light a shining light that i think is really cool there is talk and you broke this down today in the juice we might have fall camp coming up pretty soon yeah i mean don't uh, you know don't get don't get too excited nothing official from morgan nothing official from ncaa obviously a lot of hurdles a lot of things to go over but the, the current discussions at the moment seem to indicate that uh, because everybody, everybody, not just Oregon, everybody was cut short uh, in their spring football camps, that it looks like they will adopt and, and likely put into place uh, adding two weeks to the start of fall camp. So instead of your, you know, your traditional four weeks that you get, which usually – you know, opens things up at the beginning of August or the last day or two of July, uh, that would put us at uh, at a mid-July start date. And here we are, uh, the first week of June's almost coming to a conclusion. So we're legit talking about just over a month. We could be hearing about football practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's a win because if you, if you had said to me a month ago, even, even just a month ago, if you had said, hey, we're going to have – organized football practices with coaches and installing schemes and installing playbooks at the end of July, I wouldn't have believed you. No. And, uh, you know, for let's face it anymore, everybody's going through some form of a coaching carousel. So for USC, you know, obviously changing defensive coordinators there and some other coaches Uh, for Washington, you obviously lost coach Peterson and, and coach Lakes, now not the D.C. anymore. You've hired a new O.C. Oregon's got a new offensive coordinator in Joe Moorhead. So everybody's got somebody new that, that they're trying to bring in and, and, and put in wrinkles or whatnot. But I think ultimately, uh, besides all of that, ultimately the big key here is is player safety and something that, that I've – and not player safety from COVID-19 specifically, but for their own bodies. I mean, this is such a long season, such a grueling sport. You know, they take big hits, they, they, all these different things. And, you know, you've really got to put their health at the forefront of any of this. So and I think that's what you're doing. You're you're going to allow for an extra couple of weeks, which means, you know, maybe you're getting an extra practice or two in without putting on, you know, pads or having contact extra weeks of conditioning. All those things uh, will really be valuable to the players more than anything. And I think that's I would assume the NCAA has got that at the absolute forefront of their decision making. And I do believe it's the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. And and the other angle here is we've been talking about how in Oregon uh, players are going to be allowed this month 
to practice on their own. Uh, kind of like in the NFL, Tom Brady will take all the receivers to one high school football field in one town for a week, and they do all the passing drills. And you'll see the same thing here. You'll have linemen be able to work together. You'll have uh, corners and, and DBs be able to drill together. Nothing organized by the coaches, but I think that's one opportunity too. And I wonder between that and a bumped up fall camp is it safe to say these schools are going to hit the ground running well yeah i mean you would have had some form of of voluntary summer workouts anyways so uh, i mean everybody will and, and again the, the key word being voluntary so okay I, I don't know that that's unique um it might be just arranged differently it might be you know there might be a couple little changes, but ultimately at the end of the day, you can't replace getting out there, running, lifting, doing those types of things. And, uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about you and I before, and, and obviously we do that because we've talked to, to coach Cristobal, you know, you hear him talk about, uh, the culture being in place. And, and I think that's where you're really going to see the biggest difference. You're going to see, you know, the schools that have that leadership, the, the schools that have really kind of said, Hey guys, if you take it off here, somebody else is going to push ahead of you. And so I, I think that's definitely something that works into Oregon's favor. And uh, I do believe that the, uh, you know, quote unquote, voluntary workouts that we're talking about uh, right now, I, I think we'll see a massive turnout. The guys that, that decide not to are going to be a bit outcast, fair or unfair. That's just the way it's going to be, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, yeah, uh, as far as it goes, just looking at it through a, a lens there, getting those workouts in, giving them the opportunity to get back and do the voluntary workouts and then following it up with an extended, you know, period of fall camp, an extra two weeks, uh, you know, all that seems to be fair, seems to be the right move. And, and I'm just, I don't know about you, but I'm absolutely giddy at the thought that we're going to have football. Yeah. Yeah. I said this on my show last night, talking about the NBA because we got the NBA back. It felt so darn good to talk about sports. Just as simple as that. Like, I, I, I know what we're dealing with in the world is really serious, and I don't, I don't deny that. In fact, there are some times where I'm willing to say, hey, we need to talk about all those things in the world instead of sports. But after three months of, of no sports... It feels really good to talk about getting games back and, and who's going to do what and who's going to stack up where. It felt like a weight of the world is off my shoulders. Yeah, I I mean, personally, I'm not a big NBA guy. Never really have been. I'll watch. Uh, I won't even say I'll watch a game here and there. It'll probably be on the TV at the bar if I'm sitting there. I'll, I might even jump on a Blazers game here and there. I'll watch a little bit more of the playoffs. Uh, but honestly, I'm just looking forward to anything. Uh, that that's lie. I mean, I I'm a big UFC guy, so I've really been enjoying the last few UFC fights that they've had. Um, you know, it's really been something for me to for me, for me to watch and enjoy. Obviously, being a live event, but uh, you know, having something with with fans in it and and having something that uh, you know, I just think having the NBA come back is obviously the first major hurdle, but it's it's pretty exciting to yeah. me. Yeah. Um, you mentioned culture. I have to talk about this. I thought the most impressive thing Coach Cristobal did for his culture in the past week wasn't anything to do with practice or anything to do with, with getting fall camp. 
I thought it was the message he sent in response to what's happening in Minneapolis and the protests across the country. I really feel with Oregon coming out and him saying, I'm going to listen to my captains. I'm going to shut up and listen to these guys and, and, and do what they tell me to do. I thought that was an awesome message. And I wonder, maybe this is a cynical question, but do you think that separates Oregon from other schools across the country? You know, I do. I do believe that. And here's the thing. I mean, we have to remember that that Oregon recruits uh, it's such a national brand and the way they recruit is so unique from a lot of schools. And, and it doesn't mean other schools don't do it, but Oregon's definitely very unique, at least in the West Coast, um, about how they're able to, to, to do that. And I, I think the hardest part is, you know, you're going to take a look at the commit list for Oregon. And obviously it's it's littered with African-American uh, young men on there. I mean, there's no question. We're not, uh, we're not saying anything racial here. That's just a fact. Right. And so, right. you know, for Mario Cristobal to basically be asking African-American parents to entrust them, their son, their prized possession, 2000 miles away, 3000 miles away, uh, whatever the case might be. I think that it really speaks a lot that, he's very conscious of what's going on and, and just, you know, it could have been used as a recruiting tool. Of course. I mean, it's not going to hurt his stature by any means, but I, I think it's just that he's so very aware of what's going on socially and what's needed and, and making the right decision there. Not only the fact that he said it, uh, you know, and showed up at a, uh, at a peaceful protest, um, a rally, if you will, right. all those, th- all those things. I just think that the fact that he was first, he was decisive about it. It wasn't like, oh, look, you know, Jimmy Lake's doing this and Clay Helton's doing this. I better follow suit. He was pretty clear on what he was doing. He was first. It wasn't like, hey, I better do this or I'm going to, you know, risk being ridiculed or or hurting my stature. I just I feel like it was a little it's a little more genuine that way. Uh, it's a little more authentic. And, and again, <clears throat> you know, somebody that that spends a lot of his time around uh, that type of community and probably at least being sensitive to the things that they're experiencing, you know, obviously says a lot about Mario Cristobal. Yeah. I I think about the uh, Mike Norvell story that came out today where he tells the media, Hey, I reached out to every single player on my team at Florida state and we spoke one-on-one and then a player comes out and calls BS says it didn't happen. Well, I, I have people connected to him and through Florida State and through Memphis, that they've told me, yeah, this guy just, he loves saying one thing and doing another. And and then I thought about Mario. I, I think that Coach Cristobal is really good about picking his words. I'm not going to say that he doesn't say a, a message sometimes or, or make a, a move sometimes that, might be forward thinking or might be calculated but I think this is a situation where you have a football coach who didn't scan and didn't look around at what the reaction would be he just did what he thought was right and I think that's really cool yeah that, and again I guess that speaks to you know what I mentioned originally just that it, it feels like it was genuine it feels like it was authentic it wasn't you know like hey I gotta I gotta respond too because these other guys are and, uh, you know, I think that's the biggest key in all of it. Um, and I, I mean, shoot, 
you know, we've covered, obviously we've covered Oregon since Mario Cristobal's been here. Mm -hmm. And, and it certainly doesn't seem like there's anybody in that locker room, um, that doesn't feel like Mario Cristobal has their back. And it could be in a situation like this that we're seeing on a massive scale. It could be something, you know, a little bit more private. Um, it just certainly seems like he has his, his player's best interest at heart. And they, and they definitely appreciate that about him. Yeah. Um, got an interesting idea for you. I, I mentioned this on my radio show earlier this week, but we're all getting excited about potentially getting college football back. If we play the hypothetical and say the season starts tomorrow, who do you like in the Pac-12? And, and I know you like the Ducks. Who else do you like in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> you know, as far as that goes, just based on what we know, um, again, we could pick on them all we want. We can kick them all they're down. But USC continues to still have one of the most talented rosters Definitely in the Pac-12 and, and an upper-tier roster nationally in terms of skill. They've got skill players all over the board. They've got quarterbacks. They've got receivers. They've got cornerbacks. Uh, they continue continue to struggle at the line of scrimmage. That's going to be their problem. It continues to be a problem for them in recruiting even in this 2021 cycle. That right there is their Achilles heels. That said, mm -hmm. USC with the revamped uh, squad – how good will the defense be? That's going to be the huge question mark for them, just as much as how good will Oregon's offense be, you know, that being the question mark in the north. Uh, you know, I think USC is going to be able to put up enough points, at least offensively, to keep them in any game. It's going to come down to whether they can, you know, muster up enough defense to, to, to protect that lead. They should be able to run through the south I think Utah will be tough for them just because of Utah's physical style of play. They're always tough for USC. Mm -hmm. ASU's got a chance with some firepower, but they have lost some dudes uh, in the last couple of years. Huge, huge playmakers. I'm a big Jaden Daniels fan as far as quarterbacks go. I think he's probably going to end up being the cream of the crop in the Pac-12 uh, this year. I, I'm a big Tyler Shuck fan too, by the way. But giving Jaden Daniels his respect, I think he's going to be a good, good quarterback. Depends on how far – uh, he can lead them down there. I think the South is a, is a bit wide open with some of the, I mean, Chip Kelly, could he, could he find, could he finally be putting it together? Um, you know, it takes him a couple years that UCLA roster needed a little bit of work. It had some talent on it. Chip's had some ups and downs, you know, did, has he gotten the right pieces? You just never know with him. Uh, but I, I guess the one I'm, I'm leading to the one I believe in and, and I know this isn't, the popular belief, but I really think Oregon has to watch out for Stanford. Uh, I'm always going to bet on David Shaw. I don't see any reason not to believe that he won't have his team ready. I'm certain Stanford will play Oregon tough, even if they're on a down year because David Shaw is just an excellent coach. Right. But I, I think they're going to be better than most people anticipate. And I think the fact that they had so many transfers out of the program, which is normally very alarming. I, I'm not going to say that that's a good thing, but I think Stanford's a bit more of a unique situation with its academics, and some of those transfers were a byproduct of that more so than anything on the field. Um, I think David Shaw will have them retooled and competing with Oregon for the Pac-12 North. I, I, I say this, and I'm not a hater. It's I just think that Washington's got its hands full this year, and I'm not sure that they finish any better than third in the Pac-12 North this year. 
Yeah, you hit on some neat points there. Um, Arizona State, let's start there. I I think Utah lost a lot of guys from the NFL, but I am fascinated by Arizona State for the same reason. You have maybe the best returning quarterback in the Pac-12, but you lose a ton of wideouts in the last two draft classes. I don't know who's going to yes. catch the ball. Yeah. That's definitely going to be a problem for them. You lost a lot of big play guys, Eno Benjamin. Um, you know, you lost some dudes there that through the last two years, you know, Nikhil Harry was obviously a, a boss um, at them for wideout. Um, yeah, you got to replace that type of production. But um, that said, you're in the Pac-12 South, so really, I guess your biggest competition is a very questionable USC because we know Arizona's not going to give you a football game. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, USC is not going to be or, uh, Arizona's not going to be an issue Maybe USC Maybe UCLA, maybe Utah But those are all question marks We just don't know Yeah, yeah, um, I, I think yeah, I think Utah, USC, and ASU Are going to be in a very serious battle At the top for that one It's probably going to come Because it's, uh, I know we talked about this last week There's a very real chance That USC starts out 3-3 three and three this year mm-hmm. uh, oh, Just yeah. based on their schedule Based on their schedule You look at their schedule You've got some really tough games. It's very front-loaded. They could finish strong, but if you come out of the gates and struggle and all those questions come back and you know coaching uncertainty, you might lose the locker room. All those things come into play, and, and you know, suddenly you're, you're, really, you're, you're battling not only the opponent, you're battling your own team. Um, it could really spiral out for USC. I think the, the Pac-12 South is wide open between those three, and, and, and you know, Chip Kelly kind of being the wild card there. Right. Right. I I noticed there were and some I, comments the other day. Oh, sorry. I'm cutting you off. You go. No, no, you're, you're fine. And I failed to mention them, and I just sort of thought back about it. But uh, back to the Pac-12 North, where I said Washington might not finish any better than third in the North, that's because Cal could also be a real force in the North. Cool. I think, I, you know, I think you've got Stanford. I think David Shaw will rebound. I think they're the number two team behind Oregon, and it's and it's relatively close but i think i think cal is kind of a sleeping giant there that that everybody's really going to have to watch out for i think if cal was in the pac-12 south they'd probably win uh you know that side of the conference without a doubt no i i'm right there with you i love that cal team this year i think coach wilcox has done a really solid job the defense is going to be dynamite and i've said before i love the bill musgrave hire i love the bill musgrave hire um he was great, great for my Raiders. I think he's going to be great for them. Uh, big questions for me. Um, I, I'll skip over the Chip Kelly question because that's really neither here nor there. But you mentioned Stanford, David Shaw. I love it. I love Coach Shaw, and, and I'm willing to trust him. You really think a lot of those departures were just they flunked out of Stanford? No, I don't think that they flunked, but uh, you know, there there comes a point where you can't advance your academic career at Stanford. There comes a point where, you know, maybe you're there and you're able to get, you know, your major, but really not able to pursue, uh, you know, your degree afterwards. Uh, there's just so many different elements there with Stanford that most, almost every other university doesn't face. So I don't think it applies to all of them. Some of them were medical. Some of them chose to go elsewhere. And again, keep in mind, some of these guys get into Stanford and get burnt out, uh, you know, mentally, mm, academically. That's fair. And, and decide, you know, hey, this is this, you know, it's been a good run, but this isn't for me. I'm going to finish it out somewhere else. Um, so, no, I don't think all those things 
Um, I don't think every single one of those was academic, but I do think that the, that that was a part of it. And again, I'm I'm fully confident, you know, banking on David Shaw having them at least game ready and able to compete in the North. I like that point because I don't think people really think about that enough. Every class at Stanford is tough. What was the toughest class you ever had growing up? Whew, uh, I'd probably have to say math. You know, just any time I got to math, that was, you know, languages were always easy. You know, did Spanish. History wasn't a big deal. Um, I would definitely have to say math because you get into some of those, you know, dividing fractions and all the other, uh, you know, things that, that you're doing. And right now, uh, I mean, Kim's going back to school to get into the nursing program and uh, she brings home some of the math work for school. Right. And I look at it and it looks like it's an absolute foreign language to me. Like, there is no way I could do that right now. I, you know, and she gets it done. I give her a lot of credit. She kicks butt and, and figures it out and gets it all done. Uh, it's also helpful to her the fact that we have two current high school students in our home that, hey, look, I'm having trouble here, and they can usually help because it's, you know, relatively, it's pretty much stuff that they're doing now. That's so, amazing. Yeah, so it's pretty funny how that kind of comes full circle, but, uh, yeah, I look at some of that stuff and think, it, I mean, it, it's absolute, it's a, it looks like a Greek language to me. Yeah, that, that's funny because I, I was the same way. Um, English classes, writing classes, super easy. I loved them. History classes, same deal. I could just listen to the lecture and have everything in my brain. Math classes, um, after a certain point, you know, you get into high school and it's pre-calculus and calculus and get into college and it's a, a heap of more calculus and I just, I was overwhelmed. Couldn't do it. Yeah, I, I can't imagine, even going where I went to school, Oregon Tech is, is really rigorous. Even Oregon Tech had classes that were easy. Not all of them, but you might have, you know, one or two classes that are just cakewalks. Every class at Stanford is like the hardest class you've ever had. Right. Yeah, they're they're not letting you turn papers in late or, you know, right at the last week before grading period for no. for full credit. That's not that's not what's going on there. No. So. <laughs> no. West Coast Ivy. Um, you yeah. mentioned Washington. I am interested by that. I think they're a team that they have a certain baseline, meaning I think they're more talented than the perception. Um, they, they played Oregon really close last year. I think they would have beat Cal, uh, barring a really uh, fluky circumstance to that game. It had like a you know nine-hour delay. And, and they, they played some other schools really well. But anytime you have a first-year coach coming in, in the gauntlet that is the Pac-12 North, where you you have to outcoach Mario Cristobal and you got to outcoach David Shaw and Justin Wilcox, I'm not willing to trust Coach Lake. And now Nick Rolovich over at Washington State. Ooh, which, I, mean, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a crafty guy. He's been yeah. around. He he knows some things. Um, not that Mike Leach didn't, but uh, Jimmy Lake certainly had Mike Leach's number. Have to give him at least respect for that, and I do. But, uh, yeah, you got Rolo there at Washington State. I mean, the Pac-12 North is is salty, man. I mean, that's, uh, you know, it's it's going to be – it's not going to be an easy run, you know, and I do believe that whoever represents the North, which I do believe it'll be – I think Oregon's offense is going to be better than most people expect. Uh, and I, I know there's some publications out there putting Oregon in the top ten as a team, early rankings, all that kind of stuff. So they're getting some respect. 
I think it's largely based on the success of recruiting mm-hmm. and what they're returning on defense, which don't get me wrong, the defense is going to be absolutely filthy. Uh, so I'm excited about that. But I think offensively, Oregon's going to be better than most people think. I think they'll I think they'll be efficient. I think they'll be able to run the ball uh, at will, basically, on any opponent. And I think as long as Tyler Shuck doesn't force the issue, uh, you know, just keeps the game in check, hits his guys, doesn't make mistakes, he's going to be absolutely just fine in a Joe Moorhead offense. Uh, Oregon's definitely going to be the team to beat in the North, in my opinion. And I, I, I know I'm going to get the green and yellow glasses, uh, you know, uh, treatment for that one. But mm-hmm. I just, I just see it that way. But as far as Washington goes, obviously there's no points for an off season title and, and an off season title is, you know, the guys that you recruit in your early commits and things like that. And that's kind of what everybody talks about. There's no question right now. Mario Cristobal is kicking Jimmy Lake's ass on that front. Um, it, it certainly seems like Jimmy Lake has made some questionable hires. It certainly seems like he's made some questionable moves. It just doesn't feel like there's a ton of confidence coming from that program right now. Maybe it's by design, but usually it's not. Um, it, it would seem as though a lot of that local media is doing some backpedaling and maybe some damage control. Uh, and that's what you do. I mean, you're going to scratch, you know, if Jimmy Lake's got guys that are giving you info and mm-hmm. helping you out, and right. you're going to scratch your back a little bit. I get it. You know, uh, definitely guilty of it here and there as well. So I get it. But it certainly seems like there is a lot of damage control. There's a lot of unrest by the fans. And, and I don't think it's unwarranted. I mean, I, you know, the offensive coordinator hire left a lot to be desired. Uh, Washington, uh, whether they'll admit to it or not, they've gone after a number of graduate transfers at quarterback and haven't been able to land any of them. Some concerns there. And as far as recruiting goes, they're really, really hurting on the recruiting trail. They're, they're largely propped up by a five-star quarterback commit, Sam Heward. He's a legacy there. His last name, Heward alone, you should know that he's going to be a Husky. No doubt. Uh, you know, but, but outside of that, um, j- just not much going on there, uh, you know, that, that I could honestly say Oregon would pick from in their recruiting class. So I, I, I think Jimmy Lake faces an uphill battle. And I said this earlier, and I'll, I'll say it again. I've said it on some of our other podcasts. You think about it just three years ago, that guy was a defensive back coach. He basically parlayed that into being de- uh, co-defensive coordinator for a year, mm-hmm. and he's parlayed that into being a head coach. It's not unheard of. We saw Chip Kelly do something similar, although Chip Kelly had some head coaching experience at smaller schools you know, prior to that. But uh, for Jimmy Lake to take those kinds of steps, uh, hopefully the Washington Brass you know, made the right call and really saw something that none of us are aware of at this point because you, know, you and I have talked about this a lot you're not just a head football coach. You're a CEO. You know, you're, you're wearing 27 different hats and all of them require your attention all day long, every day. So if your yes. work arts aren't as good, if your guys aren't getting their grades right, if your guys aren't, you know, uh, showing up to film room, you know, if your defensive back coach is taking it easy, it's your job to pay attention to all of that. And, uh, you know, for a first year guy that's seen quite a bit of roster turnover the last two years from, from guys graduating. And I, and I, and again, I know I keep saying this, I've said this before, a lot of those guys that Washington, even Chris Peterson found success with were Steve Sarkeesian recruited guys. So it'll be really interesting to see. I, I just don't have a ton of confidence in Washington this year. Again, I'm not sure they finish any better than third in the PAC 12 North, but again, the PAC 12 North is pretty salty. 
Yeah, you remind me of maybe my favorite football analogy that football coaches are like CEOs. Um, I think the biggest misconception fans have is what a football coach does because we think about Madden and you, you press a button, you call the play, you set the depth chart, you, you set the substitutions, you tell all the guys what to do and you move the controller and make them do exactly what you want. And the reality is a guy like Mario Cristobal He's a manager. He manages the offensive play caller. He manages the defensive play caller. He manages the quarterback's coach who is teaching your quarterback what to do. Uh, The line coaches that are teaching your lines what to do. Uh, Special teams coaches. Those are the guys that are hands-on. And and the players are hands-on. I think the coach is a manager. And, and he's a really good one, a really solid one. But like you said, that's the question for Jimmy Lake. When you go so abruptly from being that position coach to being that guy at the top, are you capable of being that manager? I don't know. Yeah. And, and you know, <clears throat> we talk about this from a from a roster standpoint, from, from your player standpoint, you're, you're really your, your defensive backs or your line, offensive line. Those groups are only as good as the weakest link. You mm-hmm. know, you're not going to make it through a season uh, unscathed without injuries. And so you've got to have good depth in there. If your practice squad guys are better, they make your starters better. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to push them that much more where I'm going is if you're Jimmy Lake, you're only as good as not only your weakest position group or your weakest players on the team you're only as good as your worst coach on your on your squad on your staff mm-hmm. you know if you're if your uh tight end coach is uh you know holding his up 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 his end of the bargain you know you're going to have struggles there if your offensive line coach isn't out there doing a good job getting his guys ready you're going to struggle there and ultimately as the head coach there's not much you can do about it day to day other than riding his ass and hoping he gets it right and so uh you know i i Man, I, I just go to think, and something we started talking about today, you know, when, when Rod Chance was hired at Oregon, he's filling big shoes, okay, no doubt. Dante Williams is, is a dude. Everybody knows his name. Everybody fears him in recruiting. You know, Dante Williams, really good defensive back coach, no question about it. Rod Chance comes in, relatively unknown, one pretty good year at Minnesota. Other than that, people don't really know much about him. And now here we are, the Ducks are – you know, on the cusp of some pretty good defensive back commits. They've got two in the last two weeks here. Uh, all of a sudden, Rod Chance is kind of like the dude now, and it's like, oh, well, maybe Mario Cristobal has this hiring thing figured out after all. Uh, and so you just, you know, Mario at least has that going for him where we can trust that. We don't know, you know, basically Jimmy Lake's first couple hires there were a little bit more questionable, so we're not really sure what he's capable of. But I guess we'll find out here. Uh, in about a month and a half, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, and that's the best news of all. We're going to get college football back. Uh, a lot of rumblings about getting fall camp back at the end of the July, and I hope that's right. I hope we really do get it. Uh, you you mentioned, as we were prepping for this pod today, J-Hop, that you wanted to talk about recruiting, and the Ducks had a pretty good week with that stuff. Yeah, it's well. I mean, it's been uh, you know the last three or four weeks have been very, very positive for Oregon. Um, you know, they definitely had a bit of a lull there. I think a lot of fans, you know, kind of got. Well, let's face it, there wasn't a lot going on because of the pandemic, so everybody's you know paid attention to what's going on recruiting because that's all there was. Right. You know, other schools were getting commits. Oregon wasn't. 
Um, and, and then Mario Cristobal flipped the switch. And, you know, you saw Oregon uh, recently go on a run. You get Maliki Matavao at tight end. That's a big one for Oregon. But the last two, uh, you know, basically Jadarius Perkins, a Juco cornerback. I mean, he's six foot two, 185, 190 pounds as a corner, not a safety. And he commits to Oregon. And next thing you know, uh, Florida and Alabama and I think Auburn were the three that offered. I mean, boom, 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 right after he committed to Oregon, which, uh, you know, if you read Scoop Duck every day, as soon as he committed, I said, just so you guys know, be prepared. The fight's not over. The SEC is going to come calling now that he committed. And within two or three days, they sure did. And, and you can't blame him. I mean, he's been very pro-Oregon since. But, again, another big get for Rod Chance there, one of the top JUCOs in the country, a cornerback. And, and that makes so much sense. That just makes a ton of sense because you're going to see Thomas Graham, D'Amador, Lenore gone from this year. I don't think Oregon likes to live in the JUCO market, but a, a JUCO corner makes a lot of sense because you're going to lose both your starters. It, it would be nice to have a guy a little bit more ready-made to come in and compete with Mikel Wright and DJ James and the other guys on your roster, you know, for those vacant starting spots. So big get there. Uh, the other one's Darren Barkins, a guy that I wrote about quite a bit on Scoop Duck out of San Diego, same high school as CJ Verdell. Uh, with no camps, uh, you know, none of the seven on seven circuit was able to take place this spring. Barkins being, so San Diego is obviously South is Southern California. No right. doubt it's SoCal, right. but it's, now, it, SoCal, really, when you're talking about recruiting, everybody's talking about the L.A. area, the right. Inland Empire. You know, uh, that's, that's SoCal recruiting. Northern California and San Diego are kind of like these little offshoots off of it that aren't really included. So for Barkins, he's not a guy that's been, you know, up playing in, in the CIF, in the tough high school competition of L.A. He's been down in San Diego. A lot of those guys tend to get overlooked until they – travel up for the camps or the seven on seven or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, Barkins, Barkins is a guy that, that Oregon absolutely had really high on the board. He's one of the best corners on the West coast period. He's six foot, maybe six foot and a half, 180 pounds. He's got the, he's got the size you want. Uh, you know, Rod chance identified him and went after him tenfold. So huge, huge commitment there for Oregon to get him uh, committed with Perkins now you can kind of be a little bit more selective. You take a little bit of pressure off uh, Jalen Davies out of – so Perkins goes to Modern Day Catholic down in San Diego. Well, Oregon's after another cornerback at Modern Day in Santa Ana where they've had success before, Jalen Davies. Uh, he will be committing on June 16th, so in about uh, 12 days from now as we're recording this. So that's another – you're looking at potentially Oregon having three cornerbacks committed uh, before July. So kudos to coach chance because not only has he gone and, and, and Davies is a top 150 guy. He's a four star bona fide player. SEC offers USC's offered. Everybody's after him. And, and Rod chance has been able to come in and develop these relationships with these guys in a few short months, a not able to bring them onto campus because visits haven't been allowed and B not even able to go visit their campus during the evaluation period. He's done this building relationships on the phone, on Zoom, and just really, uh, you know, working really hard to get these guys committed. Uh, Oregon's in absolutely great shape as far as uh, the defensive back cornerback group goes uh, headed into July. Yeah, I'm not surprised at that at all. Uh, after, after we talked with Rod and getting to learn about his story, I, I really like the potential 
in that DB room and what that's going to look like a couple years from now. Um, the other day I'm reading Scoop Duck and I, I, I want to, I wonder, can I ask you about, uh, Brandon Buckner? Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I'll be honest. I, I haven't seen the kid play, but I know his dad. I'm a Raider fan. I, right. I loved the work that his dad did as a D-line coach. I think his dad has that potential to be a, a really involved figure in his development. What am I missing here? What's with the flack for this kid? I think this is a really good move. Yeah, you know, is he a, a highly decorated four-star? No. Um, he's not a SoCal kid. He's an Arizona kid. And I do think that there is a little bit of it that goes into that. Is he six foot four, six foot five? No. If you're in a lab and you're drawing up your perfect defensive end, you're not going to draw Brandon Buckner. I get it. He's, you know, 235 pounds and he's, you know, probably six foot, maybe six foot one. It doesn't have the length, but I tell you what, the guy's just an absolute productive monster from, from a number standpoint, there might not be a better defensive end in the country. And to your point, uh, his dad's Brent Buckner. He's not going to get any better coaching or development over the next year than what he's going to get at home. Right. I mean, his dad's going to watch you right. know film and say, "Dude, you're doing this wrong. Do this." And, and I get it. I guess I get it. Can Oregon succeed with a roster full of Brandon Buckners? Probably not. Okay, you could probably wait. You know, get through the Pac-12 for the most part be an upper tier team in the Pac-12 with a team full of Brandon Buckners. But of course you need those big projectable body types to win the big games against the, you know, the, the, the more physical SEC, the more physical Big Ten teams when it gets to that point. But having a guy like Brandon Buckner on your team every day, pushing the teammate, because he, he's, he is, everybody regards him as an incredibly hard worker. Everybody regards him as one of the you know, true guys of the craft where he's really working on technique and, mm-hmm. and being fundamentally sound. Right. And that, and that's much, you know, that's obviously expected given who his dad is. Oregon has won with this type of type of player before a guy who's just, you know, a Henry Mondo comes to mind and I know Henry Mondo was bigger, but really he was not athletically gifted. He was just a guy that worked his ass off and it paid off, you know, in games of very productive college career. I guess my point is this, if Brandon Buckner is the floor in Oregon recruiting, a guy that that had 16 sacks, plays in a very, very good uh, league in Arizona, the best league in Arizona at one of the premier high schools, one of the top two or three in the state of Arizona, which plays pretty good football. If you're getting, if your floor is a defensive end that has those type of accolades, uh, with the fact that his dad is Brentson Buckner and coaches the position in the NFL then Mario Cristobal must be absolutely nailing this recruiting thing because I, I don't see anything wrong with the take. Yeah. I, I, again, Oregon has made an effort. Another thing that gets overlooked, Oregon has made an absolute effort to go and plant its flag in the state of Arizona. And you cannot argue they haven't done a better job than that this year. Mm-hmm. Bram Walton, Ty Thompson, Jonah Miller, Brandon Buckner, you've gone in and you've rated the top talent out of the state of Arizona Meanwhile, Arizona and Arizona State are looking at each other with their arms and their palms to the sky like, what's going on? I just – I don't see a reason not to make this move. Again, is he the six foot four, two 260-pound you know, type that Oregon's been signing in the last couple classes from the Carolinas? 
No, he's not. He's a different player. But you have room for that kind of player on your team. You don't just need the same guy on your team over and over. It's it's like wide receivers, okay? Six foot four, two hundred twenty pound wide receivers are great. Love them. Love me a Julio Jones. Give me one every day of the week, right? But there's still room for that slotty speedster. Okay, you can give me a Tyreek Hill any day of the week as well. I'm glad to take a guy like that. There's di- you just have to have those different body types. They do different things, and they make you more versatile. So again, I don't see it as a downside at all. I don't get the hate. I'm not asking everybody to love it. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. But again, I think I think the hate's totally unjustified. Okay. Yeah, I, I just had to ask there because I'm with you. I see a kid that is a type. You know, the Ducks have Micah Pittman at wideout. He's a, a NFL player's son. Uh, the Ducks have uh, Keon Ware-Hudson on, on the lines. And we've, we've talked to his dad, Chance. Chance is a high school football coach. I think... Mario Cristobal and the Oregon program value players that come from that background uh, that have mentors in their family that can show them the way. And and that means what you eat. That means how you work out. That means how you practice, how you study. I can't think of a better person to show somebody that than Brenson Buckner. So I, I think the Ducks nailed it with the Buckner move. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a pedigree, pedigree thing. You know, he might not end up being the size of his dad, but the pedigree is there, which pedigree equals potential. You know, you bring in, bring in a guy that, I mean, heck, we've seen kids that are 17, 18, 19 years old and make a late late bloom. You never know. He could grow two inches. You just don't. We don't know. Right. Um, and and, and if, you're, if your biggest hesitation, because you cannot argue that he doesn't have the measure or the production. He has the production in every way, shape, or form in a very good league in Arizona. If your biggest hesitation is that this kid's two or three inches shorter than you'd like, I mean, that's it. That's all you got. I mean, that's, and I'm not saying he's going to be an NFL guy, but I mean, he's going to come in and work his ass off. And what you mentioned with the Ware Hudson specifically, Mario's crystal ball is very calculated. He understands that, hey, look, a guy like Buckner, uh, potentially with his dad, probably works with a lot of the top talent in the state of Arizona when he has time off, has mm-hmm. ties to him, has ties to their dad. Yes. It's very well respected. The same with Ware Hudson. And we've seen that paid off for Oregon, Chance Hudson being there at modern day with his two sons around them working. Uh, you know, he's done some coaching on the side, you know, works with these young men in the summer, hangs out with them at all the seven on seven and camp circuits. It's a, that's a recruiting tool. And, and a guy like Brenson Buckner is a huge recruiting tool. And again, I think some of us are looking at this game as checkers when Mario Cristobal is playing chess. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's my position on it as well. Um, anything else you want to touch on today? Uh, I think we we've pretty much nailed it. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's uh, always you know something to go over, but uh, I guess we can always parlay that into next week. Yeah, we we could talk about the uh, move the Oregon ladies made, I guess. Yeah, they're getting big, aren't they? I think uh, I think Kelly Graves has decided he only wants to play with six foot five or, or taller women on his <laughs> on his team. <laughs> it just cracks me up, you know. Like 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 the angle I take is you have this team that 
just blew out Stanford in the Pac-12 title game. And I know that there's going to be a lot of what-ifs about that squad, and they should have cut down the nets two more times. I don't deny that. that. That's my national champion for 2020, and I'll go to my grave believing that. But they blew out one of the blue-chip programs in that sport. Blew them out. And the lesson for Kelly Graves is, oh, I need to add more talent to that team. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, obviously we're talking about, uh, you know, Oregon went out, uh, Kelly Graves went out and got a uh, commitment from a junior college center. Her name's Ariel Wilson, uh, six foot six. And so, and that's I mean, nuts that's just, in no, women's basketball. That's nuts. Yeah, it is. It's, it's that, you know, and, uh, you know, he's going to pair her up with a couple, you know, Oregon's already got a couple, I think what, uh, six foot five and six foot seven. Uh, you know, coming in and on the roster and yeah. you throw in another six foot. So it certainly looks like Oregon's not only going to be skilled from the starting five, they're going to be deep and they're they're not going to give up the size and the paint that, uh, you know, maybe Stanford was able to take advantage of here and there. Uh, Baylor, Connecticut, uh, Oregon's going to be just as big as any of them, but also continue to have, uh, you know, that shooting arsenal, that 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 leadership at the point guard position. Um, I, I, I think if, and I'm guessing here, I don't, I don't know. And I guess we could add, ask, uh, Kelly Graves about this at some point, but uh, you know, you've got to think that Kelly Graves is looking at this and thinking, Hey, I better become multidimensional. I better become versatile with, with my team or else everybody's going to hone in on what I'm doing. And then, you know, I'm left being stagnant. I'm getting pushed behind. So I would imagine there's a little bit of that going into it as well. The element of being, uh, versatile is very valuable and uh, with the way he's uh, compiling this roster it certainly seems like that's something that he's looking into I know that a question about crystal ball that I know you get every year is do you think he'd ever leave for another school and and you've talked about how he won't he's going to be a duck and and he's going to do great things at Oregon I want to ask that same question about Kelly Graves. Do you think he's reached a point where the blue chips are knocking on the door and he might leave the school? Well, uh, you know, that's the, that's the rub, you know, how much money. And I, and I think we can see the example set to a degree. We can see the example set to a degree with, uh, with Mike White and softball. I mean, everything has a value. Um, and I think that's the, the key there is Kelly Graves value you know, far more than Oregon can justify spending, you know, does, does UConn, does, does Baylor, does Notre Dame, does one of the women's basketball blue bloods decide that, Hey, we're going to make Kelly Graves an offer. He can't refuse. Well, then of course, you know, Oregon's going to have to look at that and justify the value. No question. Kelly Graves is one of the best in the country, if not the best. So I'm certain that he his his uh, market value it's very high. I'm sure Oregon's aware of that. I'm sure they're trying to take care of him in every way that they can. But again, at some point, the you know the value kind of exceeds the return, mm-hmm. and that's the same for Mario Cristobal. I mean, right now, you know Mario Cristobal is grossly underpaid, and he's going to get a new contract and get get his respect. It doesn't mean that at some point, Florida or Miami or Alabama or Georgia or Tennessee or uh, the list goes on and on. Those big blue bloods in college football, somebody very much could make him. And I'm going to use quotation mark here with my fingers. 
a ridiculous Willie Taggart offer. I mean, and again, at that point, you start to look at, okay, that offer right there, that's way more than his value is to the program. And in the case of Oregon and Willie Taggart, you know, obviously what, what Florida State offered him uh, exceeded his current value, at least for Oregon. I think Mario Cristobal's value is higher with what he's been able to do. Oregon will definitely take that into account. But I've said this before. I'll say it again. I have the utmost respect for Rob Mullins. I think he's tremendous at what he does. It's pretty clear that he's very good at this athletic director thing. Uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but Oregon's really in the golden age of athletics mm-hmm. uh, as far as that is concerned. Oh, and yeah. ultimately, ultimately, Rob Mullins deserves a ton of credit for that. So, uh, again, you know, Mario Cristobal does have a value. Kelly Graves does have a value. And I don't think Oregon's willing to grossly overpay for any of them. But I certainly think they're going to do their best to try to keep those guys here as long as possible. Yeah, golden age, no question. You just want a conference title in, in men's and women's hoops and in football. And you have competent coaches all across the board. I mean, golf coach won a national title. Uh, baseball coach, I think the sky's the limit for Waz. Softball coach, this was supposed to be Melissa Lombardi's redemption year. And uh, and I guess next year is going to be that if she keeps the band together. And then you just happen to have uh, a head ball coach who has the potential to win a natty and <laughs> similar for for Dana and for Kelly, you know, it, it's yeah. um, it's a, a a program, an athletics program where you could make the argument five or six different sports could compete for a national title. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to think about, and uh, again, Rob Mullins deserves a lot of a lot of credit for that. And uh, again, he doesn't get there without being smart. You don't make these rash business decisions yeah does do you have phil knight's huge pocketbook you know sitting in, in your desk and right. able to pull out pull of course out? yeah you could do that anytime but we've seen so many bad contracts made that it puts programs in serious trouble florida state another example tons of money lots of money but that willie contract uh willie taggart contract is going to haunt them for years yeah uh, you know you just can't you know an organ's not a program that's able to put themselves in that type of position so um yeah, again, with, with what Rob Mullins has done, you know, Oregon's been able to kind of assemble this uh, dream team of coaches, and uh, it's a pretty awesome awesome time to be a Duck fan. Mm, I like that note. Let's wrap on that. Uh, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, you can listen to us on iTunes. You can listen on Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere that you want to listen to your podcasts. Plus, we put the episodes up first on ScoopDuck.com every Thursday. Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name's Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins. Thanks for listening. Go Ducks! <laughs>